Let's just get into it then. Yeah, I guess, let's do it. We've already lost forty minutes. Yay politics! <laughs> Yay politics! Sexy politics! Oh, <laughs> sexy politics! Woo! It's so sexy. <laughs> Way better than sports. Vote, vote, lads, lads, vote, vote, lads, boobs. <laughs> vote. <laughs> Look, if that was my political education when I was in school, I would have been so much more politically engaged. <laughs> Um, Steve, who's this third voice in the room? This is Shauna. She is the founder of the hugely successful Sex Shopper. Which I, is I'm the smut peddler in chief. Smut peddler in oh. chief, which is fantastic <laughs> because we want to do an episode about the politics of sex. Yay. So we need someone that is both smutty and a peddler and in chief because that's the political part. Yes, um, absolutely. Is th- is that a title? Is that a self appointed title, Shauna? Um, sort of. So I got interviewed by the the Irish Times a couple years ago, and the they asked me what I wanted to be called like in the article, and I was like, "Call me, <laughs> call me head smut peddler." <laughs> and so they so they put that in the title of the of the article. It was like smut peddler has a conscience or something. That's Jesus. Yeah, yeah because it was. Come so on. I was doing a. I think it was off the back of my 1916 thing. Yeah, so yeah, it was the for the centenary. I was selling a dildo, like a tricolor dildo, and like part of the, part of the proceeds were going to the abortion rights campaign. That's brilliant. Sorry, just so much unpacking that story. That's amazing. So, were you really proud to show that article to your mom? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You strike me as the kind of person that's already gotten over all the different, the possible, um, like raised eyebrows that it may. In- incur. Yeah, I'm. I'm one of those. Pe- I'm impervious to to eyebrow raising. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Hopefully, hopefully we can do that here with this episode. Uh, but before we get into our topic, Steve, do you want to? do a bit of news because it's been a while since we did the news. Yeah, we'll do a bit of news and um, not only that, but we're also going to talk quite a good bit mostly about the 2020 um, campaign, which has started like a fucking loads of rockets exploding with loads of explosions and it's awful because even though it's not two years until they're having the election, mm. it goes on like a terrible TV show forever and ever until then, which it gets to the point that you're just like, I don't care, I'm electing Donald Trump. Yeah. So <laughs> hopefully they fix that this time. It's the it's the Hollyoaks of, of elections. <laughs> <laughs> And Shauna, usually we don't get our guests in for the news section, but you are from America yeah. and you are very much invested in this. Yeah. Stuff. Vote. Are you, can you vote remotely? I, I can. I can do like long distance voting by, by mail. I was very wow. excited because like Steve was like, hey, we're going to have you to come, like, come on and talk about sex. I'm like, can I? Like it's a poli- it's a politics podcast. Can I talk about the election? You're the I- only person we've had, we've invited lots of guests on to talk about topics that are not at all evidently about what it's supposed to be. And you're the first one that's like, yeah, but you guys, you're a politics podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Can I talk about that too? Like, well, I suppose. I guess. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I demand every, it every now and again. We talk about politics. <laughs> yeah, Richie, yeah. Um, it's Brexit time. It's Brexit time. Oh, so Shada, I'm over in London. I don't know if Steve specified that. Yeah, um, <laughs> I got I got that from the Skype call. <laughs> oh, he's just next door. We just, oh, right. We, we're, we're, we're contractually not allowed to be in the same room. Oh, grand. Um, so, so uh, riddle me this: Is it Brexit with three X's? Because it's <laughs> oh, brilliant. Oh my god, brilliant! <laughs> it is the 69th episode. So. <laughs> oh my god, you're you are so much more clever than we are. <laughs> but yeah, so I, I I'm our our de facto uh, Brexit correspondent just by virtue of the fact that I live here. Uh, but I hate it. I hate it so much. <laughs> Because it's so awful um, and I hate talking about it. So for this Brexit update, um, because I had a little bit of time and I was prepping for this episode, I, I wrote the news in a Dr. Zeus style poem. Yay. Let's hear it. 
I'm going to deliver it in the style of, of a poem, if that's okay. Is that okay, Steve? That's okay, um, Brexit correspondent, Richie. <laughs> Over to you. Oh, so this, is com- this episode's coming out on Tuesday, and that's when the vote is happening. That's just my little artistic preface that sets up the context for the, for the piece. Today, my friends, is a big, big day. For who, you may ask? Oh, it's Theresa May. She's heading to work with her mind all clear, ignoring distant screams and a general ambience of fear. And what's that in her hands that she's grasping so tight? It's a letter to the EU saying we were wrong and you were right. <laughs> Lol joke, not really. It's something even better. A deal, 600 pages contentious down to each letter. Oh my God. <laughs> Whoa, I hear you shout. I just got deja vu. Haven't we been here before? Did that deal not go through? <laughs> Alas, not quite. It was rejected just a little, you see. Lol joke. Actually, it was the worst defeat in UK history. <laughs> But this will be different. This is my time. May shouts with conviction from the party line. Oh, so this deal is altered. It's, it's fixed and brand new. May pauses in silence. The sounds of crickets comes through. <laughs> Today, my friends, is a very big day. MPs vote on May's deal. Is it a yay or a nay? If it's rejected again, a delay may just be needed. But that's up to the EU if such a request is even heeded. Maybe it'll be fine, so keep calm, carry on. Put your fingers in your ears and hum a loud song. March 29th is flipping ages away. That's loads of time. She was in Rome built in a day. (laughs) That's it. Oh my God. That was like hilarious at first, but then it was like really lilting and captivating and I just wanted to hear the story. (laughs) Yeah, uh, the entire entire time I was imagining like Theresa May as like Cindy Lou Who with like the the vertical hair. (laughs) Barnier is the Grinch peeking out around the corner. It's all very ah. Oh, and the Lorax is definitely Boris Johnson. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, one, that's a one-to-one. <laughs> all he needs is the stash, which eventually he will grow. It's demanding. Eventually. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, so that's Brexit. Pretty much some of the, I don't think there's any more context needed. Uh, no. So let's, <laughs> let's, <laughs> why would anyone else need any further news after that? Um, so let's just move on to a different continent. Let's go back and talk about America. So, as we said, America are getting ready for a big, important election that's so important, they named it twice, 2020. Um, (laughs) It is, at the moment, um, it's assumed that the Republicans are going to nominate Donald Trump, uh, which is normally how it happens when when Mm -hmm. you're in power, you tend to re-nominate your president to run again. Mm -hmm. But of course, because it is Donald Trump, there is a chance that someone could try and one-up him at the conventions, but we'll see. Um, More importantly, I guess because there's more to talk about, is that the Democrats have all started running. All all of them. Pretty much. Every single Democrat. Yeah, Yeah, I was like, down from the fellow who like organizes the chairs at the Iowa caucuses up to feckin' Senator, former Vice President Joe Joe Biden. So I don't even know where to start with this. (laughs) Um, Elizabeth Warren, do you think she's been doing a good job so far? Um, I I like her. I, uh, when it it comes to the, the, I'm really enjoying um, everybody announcing because it means I like I feel like I'm, I'm getting like a like a like a tapas buffet. Uh, <laughs> of, <laughs> I'm just of, of a little bit of this. Of different uh, like <laughs> blends of the the kind of the same sort of thing. But I like I do I do like Elizabeth Warren. My my sister's a big Warren fan. I didn't actually I I missed her slip up. She said something about like she should be president because she's a mother or something along those lines. Oh, was you're it? not allowed to say that. Yeah, that's how Theresa May became the prime minister because <laughs> Andrea Leadsom said I'd make a better prime minister because I'm a mother, and everyone was like, ooh. ooh. 
you I, don't know what happened to her vagina. You can't say that. Yeah, but I, I kind of <laughs> literally what it was. <laughs> I kind of want to like let her off because again, like it's like people have said far far worse. Like, are we like really who? gonna? Like, uh, is there anyone in particular you're thinking of? The entire Republican Party. Oh, yeah. those, those guys. Yeah. The, the the other people. <laughs> um, what did you think about her Native American thing? So she started that back in November. I'd forgotten about that. Yeah. Is that still happening? She's still getting a lot of. Um, yeah. Like people aren't. People are not going to forget that. That was too much of a blunder. I think. I think. Um. I. I would. I. I kind of want to focus on like people's policy like what their policy plans are going to be yeah because like we have better things to be worrying about like how we're going to come back from i do understand that shit show but just to point it out like elizabeth warren basically has been a very prominent democratic politician for a long time now i think she she kind of she took office after the the crash wasn't it i think she had a job for obama but after that because she was like an expert in protecting consumers from financial banks which apparently would have been important if they had known how to do that before the crash and everyone got fucked so she has been a big wig and because hillary was running last time anyone like her that you would have thought would have run didn't because they were they just didn't think they would have a chance mm. so she didn't and it was like pretty much everyone just knew even the day after the election that she was going to run this time. And she did. So Donald Trump, in his lovely way, nicknames her Pocahontas yeah. because she once filled in an application form saying that she was Native American. And for some reason, she made the decision to try and challenge it by saying, hey, look, I've got DNA that says I have American ancestry. In yeah. me. But then it turns out by the probability of DNA tests. Every every North American pretty much could get those results. She did a twenty three yeah. and me and was like, I'm pretty much yeah. And then she made like a video. Yeah, she made like a video and and a lot of people were like, ooh, bad move, lady. That's not good. Like number one, you're rising to Trump's silliness, and number two, you really you didn't check with any Native American tribe um, yeah. people about whether that was a good idea because apparently mm. they don't accept DNA tests as, as proving your heritage. Yeah. So I just I know that it. it 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 might not be necessarily so worthwhile to talk about, but at the same time, she's running for the highest executive office in the world. Exactly. And that was a bad move. Yeah. So I actually, I have other reasons why I, I probably wouldn't be, uh, like Elizabeth Warren wouldn't be my top person. Um, and that's more to do with SESTA-FOSTA. Anyone who's who's come out of the Senate or, or Congress um, and is running for president has been um, a, a big supporter of SESTA-FOSTA so, so far. Um, and what, what, so, sorry, what's SESTA-FOSTA? So, so SESTA-FOSTA was a bill that was put in um, last year or the year before um, that basically it was an anti-trafficking, anti-human trafficking bill. But the difficulty with it <laughs> is that it, it made it so that um, it made people who work in the sex work field made their jobs more dangerous because it meant that. Oh, yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. So I lots of websites. This, yeah. I think Backpage was the, the biggest story. Yeah. Backpage, like preemptively before the bill was even passed, like shut down um, so that it makes it so that sex workers cannot um, screen their clients as as thoroughly yeah. as they would like. So it just it's making their job more dangerous. But it's also had the um, it's also scared a lot of websites off of like having any kind of like sex content generally. I think oh like Tumblr would be a good example of that where they just like got rid of all of their adult content. Mm. Um, Which is a weird move for Tumblr if you're familiar with that yeah, platform at all. Yeah. It just used to be the weirdest stuff. It, it's just like all all of the porn. All, all of the, the porn. All of the porn. Even yeah. like the porn that the porn sites wouldn't have. Tumblr had it. Yeah. 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 So um, Where am I supposed to put my Sonic the Hedgehog slash fiction now? 
But it, but it's also meant that like um like social media sites like Twitter and Instagram have really been I mean th- they've been cracking down on on sexual content or, or you know flirty content for a while. I I, I say like no flirty. nipples on Instagram. No nipples on Instagram. But I've like I've had no friends. No female nipples actually specifically. Exactly. Yeah. No female <laughs> nipples. Um. But I have friends who like um are are strippers or like have de- are burlesque performers and not even post in anything like. Uh, nudity, no nipples, no nothing, but just having cleavage on their pages, like consistent cleavage, has meant that they've gotten their accounts shadow banned. And a lot of this wow. is like off the backs of Sesta Fosta, where like, com- like companies, social media platforms are running scared of like this bill, um, that they're going to get done for like trafficking violations or whatever. So, so did Sesta was Sesta Fosta backed, backed by pretty much all of Congress? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So. I don't think I don't think Bernie Sanders was in favor of it. Oh, okay. Yeah, I think yeah. he might have, or maybe he was. Some I think someone said that he might have voted for it, but he wasn't a big backer of it. But Kamala Harris and Elizabeth Warren were really vocal supporters of this. Okay. So I, I believe that wasn't the whole thing. The catalyst for the whole thing was there was an, uh, an abduction story, or someone was sold um, into human trafficking, and it became like the uh, this child became like the poster child for it, and everyone just there was like a sympathetic wave to push behind it, but no one read into the deeper implications for sex workers as a whole possibly i mean that seems to be the the kind of general story there there is always like a, a child trafficking story like attached to these yeah. um but what we need to to like understand is like uh human human trafficking like what we would consider human trafficking you know people being sold into slavery child like minors being sold into slavery is very very different from consensual mm. sex work yes um, of course but that bill doesn't disassociate the two, really. No, no. Yeah, and and the problem is like a lot, uh, like a lot of um, when you're, uh, like a lot of laws regarding sex work doesn't discriminate between the two of them. It kind of conflates the two of them, and so we have a lot of issues around that. And so I, um, uh, when I'm talking to people about like who who I want to like vote for in 2020, I'm kind of like, did they did they support Sesta Fosta? Um, and so, they're like, you can't be a one issue voter. And I'm like, I understand that, but but but, but it's, it's had, my vote. <laughs> it's it's yeah. my vote, but it's also it's had such wide ranging implications. It's yeah. not just the sex work industry. It is literally like any any site that has any kind of adult content, including our social media sites, and so, and that affects unfortunately mostly women if you are a woman on the internet and you show any amount of skin it fucking affects you so um so what are your choices for uh, the 2020 so i i really have been impressed by Budicic. yes um i i think his uh being a mayor like coming out of the 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 Mayor, I want to say mayoral sector. I've had a glass of wine. Sector. <laughs> that, that's it's a common mean? thing with our guests. Yeah. <laughs> um, I I think because he he isn't the local government is usually what it is. Lo- there yeah. we go. Local government. <laughs> um, he hasn't been in in D.C. entrenched in D.C. politics. By the swamp. Exactly. He's he's not of the swamp, but also <laughs> where um, was he mayor of? South Bend, Indiana. So he's from an area that's been um, really affected by automation. So when you talk about like 
you know, automation's taking our jobs. Like he he knows that. He knows the ins and outs of that. He's also um he has military experience. He he was um veteran of of Afghanistan. So I think like he he's drawing from and he would also be the the youngest president ever to be elected if he was elected. He'd be the first openly gay president to be elected if he's elected. Um and what's his racial background? He's white. I didn't actually know him. I never heard of him. Yeah. Oh, have you not? <laughs> no. Um, yeah, kind of I was kind of like, okay, so he's a he's a mayor from a town of I say town. He's a mayor of a city of a hundred thousand people. Yeah. So like in America, it counts as a teeny tiny town. In Ireland, it would be the second biggest city on the island. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Um, but I I heard him on Pod Save America. Oh yeah. And I I've seen like a few interviews with him, and I, and I've been sort of impressed by. Like he he gives I was kind of skeptical of him because he was from such a small area, mm. but he does give a good argument that like most of the people who have worked in Congress and the Senate um, don't have experience governing people. Mm-hmm. They don't have um, the experience of having to go on the local news when a, a cop has shot and killed someone and had to, you know. When there's like serious like tension there between the public and the government, the public and the police. Sure. Yeah. Um, like trying to diffuse a, a diff- really. Yeah. A really, trying to diffuse yeah. a, like a really like awful situation. Mm-hmm. Which there are many of. Which there are many of, unfortunately. Um, and, and the fact that he is a veteran of Afghanistan means that like he has um, not a ton of foreign policy experience, but enough to know that there is shit going on in, yeah. in the world and um, to deal with those things sensitively. He's not going to be sending people in harm's way unless it's absolutely necessary. And is that what his kind of foreign policy comments so far have encompassed? It's like, I'm not going to just... Chuck soldiers everywhere. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. So So I, I, I think he's drawing from enough experience um and he's young enough that it's um he's idealistic. Mm-hmm. And I really like that in a candidate. He um, sounds really interesting. I definitely have to check him out. Um but just unfortunately the question that you have to ask, because it is a horse race, is what can I, what what's he polling at? I don't know. Yeah. And um I, oh, another one, a, a practical question. Um so you are resident in Ireland yes but an American citizen yeah and you'd po- you you vote postally what state do you vote in your primary Washington oh so it's the state that you used to live in just yeah. What, yeah. whatever your previous address is yeah and do you get to keep that right forever yeah wow yeah that's yeah. a good system yeah no it, um, <laughs> I have people who like back home who are like why do you get a vote I'm like because I was born there <laughs> and you know and I and I want to keep my options open if I if I ever want to move back like I want to be able to uh, be involved like in shaping the kind of country that I want to come back to mm. if I ever if I ever have to make that decision to, to come back um, and so my my family are like you know when are anytime I break up with a boyfriend <laughs> they're like when are you when are you moving home <laughs> and um and my answer is like well when you guys get like universal health care <laughs> and, uh, and and some you know common sense guns gun laws i actually the last time i was home um someone like literally on the way home from the airport my parents picked me up at the airport and someone cut my mother off like on the freeway oh. and i flipped the person off and my mom was like <laughs> screaming like what are you doing? <laughs> and I'm like, what What do you mean? Like, if this were Ireland, like, you know, fl- flip everybody off when they cut you off. You just, you just walk down the street flipping people off. It's exactly. Fine. And my mom was like, yeah, you live in a country where there's no guns. Yeah. So yeah. I'm like, oh, yeah, I forgot. My life is in danger just by the virtue of being here. <laughs> <laughs> it's the little things, isn't it? Yeah. 
Uh, just looking up, I don't have the poll numbers for Pete Buttigieg, but uh, he's po- he's a uh, hundred to one on Paddy Power. Um, Where is it? So what's that, the, like? Is he twelfth or thirteenth or in the top five mm-hmm. or what's that? Uh, no, he's quite far down. <laughs> he's quite far down, uh, but I do like him. Uh, definitely, yeah. like even if even the important George Clooney is also hundred to one. So. <laughs> oh yeah, um, Richie, I'm going to ask you this: What do you think the chances are of a celebrity jumping into the Democratic primary? They already have. Who? Uh, Howard Schultz. <laughs> Who? Yeah, oh, the radio DJ. No, 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 no that's Howard Stern. Oh. <laughs> uh, the the CEO, the former CEO of Starbucks. You think he counts as a celebrity? <laughs> I mean, in Seattle, I mean, he yeah, is. he's a personality. Yeah, he's he's a he's at fifty to one, so he's doing better. Is than he? Keith. Oh, fuck! Yeah. You don't like him? No, <laughs> he he sold the Seattle Supersonics. I was just to, about to say to he's Oklahoma. a Washingtonian as well. He's a wa- well, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> you know when like. Irish people go to England and they're like kind of shit over there and they're like you can have him <laughs> that's yeah, kind of how yeah, we yeah. feel about Howard so, like, Schultz you have the same reaction we have to Bono yes yeah yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. He's, he's our Steve Bono. has a personal vendetta against Bono <laughs> it's not me it's the show <laughs> <laughs> that's true I actually I didn't think he was that bad until I heard all the bad things about him on this show um, looking as well sorry just going through these Paddy Power things Kevin Spacey is 500 to 1 Vince Yikes. McMahon is 500 to 1 Kanye West is 500 to 1 <laughs> down the bottom is where they throw in all the comedy ones I assume just to yeah. li- liven up the list a little bit I presume well Kanye West did announce like four years ago he is running for president in 2020 oh, yeah. do you remember that? yeah yeah <laughs> it's like of course you all know already but I will announce it I am running for president and then he'd he started... probably get Trump's endorsement as well <laughs> yeah so yeah Maybe if you go on, maybe it could be uh, Trump's vice president this time around. Um, yeah, that was like, did you see the meeting between them? The last one, I think it was just before Christmas. Oh. Where they were like, mm. Kanye. They had was, another meeting. They have meetings all the time. Kanye was ranting and raving and just going bananas. And Trump was actually, Trump Trump looked uncomfortable. So mm. it's a rare occasion where Trump is in a room with someone that he thinks is a bit weird. <laughs> also, Kanye West unlocked his phone while all the cameras were pointed at him. And his password was just four zeros. <laughs> So that that would be. I assume he would change the nuclear launch codes to just like four zeros. Yeah. <laughs> what do you think of Cory Brooker? He'd be one of the front runners. I like his enthusiasm. <laughs> that's what people. That's what my teacher said in school whenever I was shit at a subject. Yeah, I like his enthusiasm, and I have like um like over the years I've really liked him, and then I I kind of found out recently he he's being like lobbied by big pharma. Doesn't he have like big pharma money behind him as well? He's a very conventional politician in the sense that I would not be surprised that he had all the money behind him. Yeah, because that's what they do. They just throw money at the senators. I am um, anytime anytime someone announces, I'm like, oh yeah, that person. I like that person. And then I do a little research, and I'm like, no, oh shit, they're just mm. they're just another senator politician. <laughs> yeah. Um, would you have the same thing about Catherine Harris then? Uh, Kamala Harris. Kamala Harris. Uh, yeah. Uh, again, saw her her announcement speech. Thought it was great. I'm like, oh, she seems presidential as fuck. I like, I like her. And then, like, kind of, someone was mentioning to me, like, because she was a prosecutor before, mm. um, that she is possibly now. I could be getting this wrong, but possibly like pro private prisons, and oh. that. And that does not She's sit well with me. Tough on crime is one of her things. Yeah. Tough yeah. on crime and tough on the causes of crime, whatever the, the usual thing is. So yeah, she, yeah. She's she's not pretty she's not that she's not a very innovative politician. And again, she was she was also one of the, the loudest voices for Sesta Fosta, right. so I kinda have issues with that. But again, uh, like at the end of the day, it's not a, <laughs> it's not about me. It's about like <laughs> 
defeating Trump. Like so, literally yeah. the worst thing that has ever happened to the White House ever. So, um, yeah, like and and you know if she if she made it through the primaries, if Elizabeth Warren made it through the primaries, um, I I would be very happy to vote for them because I think they're they're like there literally is enough there with any of these candidates for me to be like happy for it. Like, especially if any of them are signed up for like the green new deal and that kind of thing, more than happy to vote for them. I'm just kind of nitpicking at this stage. That's, this is the time to nitpick. I mean, there's mm. so many different people on the, on the field and it's like, this is exactly the time. Um, just before we move on to the two big wigs, because we kind of have to mention them because to be honest, these two old white dudes are most likely to get the nomination. Yes. But uh, before I do, I want to mention someone who is not old and white. Um, Tulsi Gabbard is a congresswoman for Hawaii. Um, she got called out to us back when we did our Teddy Roosevelt episode by, I think it's someone that lives in the States because um, they were like, oh, this is basically the new form of yeah, Teddy the Roosevelt. Yeah, the modern embodiment yeah. of that spirit. And when you look her up, she's a, she's also a military veteran. She okay. is mad about getting action and surfing and having a mad time. And um, she, I think she's also like mostly native Hawaiian in terms of her background. And um, Oh, I was unaware of her. Tell me more. <laughs> yeah, she's 37 years old. Um, she's a smoking hottie as well, which never helps if you have to look at them on the on the on the news all the time. I mean, I'm just after Donald Trump. I I would take Bernie Sanders. <laughs> yeah, um, she's also though she's um she's been a part of uh, different anti-gay advocacy groups as well. That was way back in the day. <laughs> yeah, she has apologized for it, yeah. but it's also well, so was so was if we're nipping, so was Obama. Yeah. I was I was just going to say so was Obama and, and Clinton. Like I mean, yeah. the uh, America was kind of strange actually um, in terms of. Like in Ireland, the but wait, wait, wait. Obama is how old, and she's thirty-seven. Yeah, mm. Mm, that's true. Actually, that's a very good point. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. Like, I think she did have quite a religious background, and jumping immediately into the serving in the military would kind of say that she probably didn't have long black hair and wore white makeup when she was in high school. To, mm. to you know, and she wasn't an alt person. Yeah. So, but anyway, yeah, that that wasn't great. But she has completely turned that around, and she. Is just as yeah. She's she's formally apologized for yeah. and completely okay. like re, repositioned herself. But and, yes, you're right. Nitpicking. This is what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to nitpick. Um. So yeah, the two big white dudes who are most likely to. Well, actually, I'm not too sure they will, but they're definitely going to captivate a lot of the energy of this year. I think. So we have Joe Biden, former vice president, um, who's tried to run for the presidency three times before. Um, he used to love getting the train from Delaware when he was a, a, a senator from Delaware, and he used to always make mistakes when he was making speeches as the vice president. That's about all that I have to say is good about him. <laughs> but I think he's got a good heart behind oh, him. Does he? Mm. He's got great he's got great memes. He's got great memes. He's like the puppy dog of of politicians. Well he's definitely not a puppy dog. I'll accept like twelve year old bloodhound that's nearly dying. But yeah. He's definitely he has got a cute doggy face. But he's seventy six. Yeah he's yeah. he's up there. He's I, really up there. How I mean, old is Bernie? About the same. Yeah, you shouldn't be ageist yeah. about these things, but at the same time, you know, you need a bit of pep in your step to do this. Yeah, job. Exactly. exactly, and that's like, um, and that's what I was saying about like Pete Buttigieg. He was saying that I think it was like twenty fifty two is the the date or the year that he will be as old as our current sitting president. There you go. Yeah, um, yeah. I, he he. T- but you see, his son died of brain cancer. Bo, yeah, and he wrote a book about that. Yeah, and part of the book was that he promised Bo that he would never run for president. Mm. Oh, and I did not know that. And now he's running for president. <laughs> That's heartbreaking. I don't actually know if he's announced that he is definitely running, but I think he's like ninety nine percent sure. The the New York Times has like a running tally, and he's down as likely to run. Okay, 
Yeah. So like no formal announcement, but every, like signs are pointing. Yeah. To it. And I, the, the podcast I was listening to during the week, the journalists were like, yeah, everybody is saying that he, he's basically just waiting to press the button and do his announcement speech. Yeah. He tops the polls um, mm. of, of like likely candidates for, for getting the Democratic nomination. And second is Bernie Sanders. Yeah. Who we all know, some of us love from the 2016 campaign. Um, Shauna, what's your opinion of the burn? So when he first announced this time around, I was like, oh, for fuck's sake, we're doing this again. <laughs> but then I have to remember that he's the he, he's the reason why the Democratic Party got pulled so far to like, well, I don't want to say like so far to the left because the Democratic Party is so far to the center right and yeah, of yeah, like yeah. any other like countries. Yeah, it's, it's all relative. <laughs> it's all relative anyway. But he, he managed to, to kind of pull everyone's views more, more left. Something than, like than, the Green New Deal can be spoken about without snickers <laughs> exactly yeah um so i'm kind of i'm dare i say it glad that he's in it i don't know i don't think he would be my first choice um what but i'm glad that he's there what do you think would be the point of having him run like do you think he like last time i, I don't think he wanted to be president he was just doing it to make a point Does, do you think so yeah I, definitely yeah hmm. whereas this time does he actually want to be president I mean, if he's doing it, he either wants to be president or he's a serious masochist. Well, no, you see, the people like probably Tulsi Gabbard doesn't expect to actually get it. Um, I forgot his name. Your 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 local Budicic. Budicic. I'm not yeah. going to remember that. It's really complicated. Yeah, <laughs> he he's he knows he doesn't have a good chance of winning, so he's doing it to to put his issues out there, to to put the policy on the table, which is part yeah. of this process as well. It's like even if you're not, there's another dude running. I can't remember his name. He's a um, Chinese-American businessman. He is running just to put um, the the minimum wage, what's the, the, the minimum universal basic income on the oh, table. Okay, yeah. So um, Andrew Yang. Also Andrew Yang, uh, Jay Inslee, uh, Washington governor. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, he's like really big into environmental stuff. I think he'd be a big proponent of Green New Deal, that kind right. of thing. But um, as people back home in Washington have told me uh, that he hasn't been massively impressive on his environmental record, <laughs> um, just that like he he doesn't he can't really get anything done. Yeah, yeah. Um, but again, that's just politics generally. Like you you have all of these ideals and then you can never get anything done. It's like, oh, by the way, you don't control Congress, so no. Yeah. Um, yeah. So even if these guys and their policies are not likely to actually make it into office, they will influence the the big the big hitters. So yeah, like Elizabeth Warren and Kamala Harris and the other and Cory Brooker have not ruled out the Green New Deal. They're saying that that might be a good idea. Let's look into it. Mm. And like, whereas if someone wasn't like putting that issue on the table by running all the time, then you wouldn't get that. So it is like when you say, "Why would you run?" It's either you want to be president or you're a masochist. That's not that's not true. So <laughs> I'm I'm wondering as Bernie Sanders actually just drunk too much of the Bernie Kool-Aid and thinks he can actually be president this time. Possibly. Do you, th yeah. do you think, because like last time part of his his unique selling point was that he was the underdog, right? But now he's, he you know, he, he, was, rel he was more successful than people thought. Do you think he can still brand himself that way in 2020? Uh, and if not, is that going to hurt him? He can, because he's still the outsider. He's still yeah. the only socialist in Congress. I think my, my issue with Bernie is not necessarily with him. It's, oh God, it's the relationship I have with fucking Rick and Morty as well. It's not <laughs> the actual thing. It's the fans. It's the, it's yeah. the fans that really bother me. Bernie, Bernie Bros. Oh my God, the Bernie Bros. Yeah. Like a quick summary for someone who is not aware of what the Bernie Bros are and how terrible they are. Oh, just uh, guys who were like so massively into Bernie that they're like, if, if 
uh, oh, that the like the DNC was rigged, and um, and if he had been if he had won the primary, then we would have won everything, and we wouldn't right. have had Trump. Okay. Um, but then there was also people who would have voted for Bernie, and then found out that like Hillary was the won the primary and then voted for Trump. Yeah, that was like ridiculous. Or yeah. voted for Harambe because he got a thousand votes across the country as well. Did he? That, yeah. It's ridiculous. <sighs> yeah. And misspellings of Bernie uh, Sanders got loads as well um, <laughs> on write-ins. So I think we've talked enough about yeah. boring old regular politics. <laughs> it's time. Well, actually, we did talk a good bit about sex politics there too. But We did, yeah. yeah. Maybe a nice segue. We're just going to do it fully on now. We're, we're putting yeah, it here on the table. It's sex, all sex. baby. Yeah. All sex, all the time. <laughs> full frontal. Hey, full, full this frontal. is why we have you in the room, Shana. You're way better at this shit than we are. <laughs> yeah, so just before exactly. we jump into it, um, we did kind of only briefly and probably flippantly mention what your shop is. So oh. would you like specifically, why is your shop different to other sex shops that are out there? Yeah, I, I really like my shop because all of the products that I stock are made from body safe materials, which is a big thing because the industry as a whole is largely unregulated. So um, you can make a sex toy out of any old materials and it is perfectly legal to do so. So the the products that I stock would be made from uh, materials that are known to be body safe. So like silicone, hard plastic, stainless steel, that kind of stuff. Um, and I kind of, when it comes to regulation of sex toys, I, I have mixed feelings about it because on the one hand, yes, regulation would be great. It would mean that lots of people are would be safer but on the other hand it means that we wouldn't get innovation in sex toys mm-hmm. um that uh, a lot of the the indie brands who have put themselves forward like put themselves on the front lines to educate the public on on materials and the reasons why um we need safer sex toy materials uh they would all get thrown out of business because fda approval is considerably like just so incredible incredibly expensive. So just to take you up on that one, um, here's, a, here's a political question. If yeah. the FDA is the American like um, screening board, basically, they're the ones that get to decide what products can be declared safe and sold. Yeah. And does getting past them mean so much that they basically have the deciding factor for the world sex toys? Um, I'm not entirely sure. I Like, I, I think probably because it's it's the same thing with like the internet right um bills that get passed like affect us all all. and because they're like america is sort of like the main power when it comes to like regulations it would be and sex toys and and, and sex toys yeah it would kind of be the same so i have like all of these really lovely like independent shops and like independent retailers independent manufacturers and like you know medium to larger scale like manufacturers who have really been um, pushing the envelope in terms of like sex toy design, but also pushing the envelope in terms of like educating the public, like, hey, uh, our products are body safe and here is why that is important to you. Um, a lot of those businesses would go out of business because they can't afford FDA approval in the United States. Mm. So um, I, it's it's kind of like the one area, oh God, I can't believe I'm saying this. It's the one area where I'm like, the market will take care of it. <laughs> and I, every time I say that, I'm like, I hate that I have to say that. Yeah. I absolutely hate that I have to say that. But I, but I genuinely b- believe it because we, we've seen in the last like 15, 20 years, just this massive shift in how people view sex toys. And a lot of that is down to the fact that um, 
a lot of independent retailers are hiring sex educators. A lot of manufacturers are hiring sex educators to to talk on behalf of their brand. And you're you're seeing like a lot of a lot of big companies that were getting stuff manufactured in China and using really crappy materials are shifting towards like being pulled towards like more um, body safe materials like silicone, and then they'll get like a a famous sex sex educator to come and like talk on behalf of like let's say their body safe range and um and then once they see that those sell more then they they there's more of a push towards body safe materials cool and is do you, is, is that like a, a trend across the industry in general just like more ethical i think so practices? i'm i'm still as far as i'm aware i am still the only body safe exclusive uh retailer in ireland um but you but you are seeing more of it in like the uk and europe um i think uh america is where it was sort of started i know um tanta silicone i think was the first exclusively like silicone manufacturing sex toy company um in the world and it's kind of like grown out from there you have um companies like Babeland and Smitten Kitten and Good Vibrations who only like exclusively deal in body safe toys. Good Vibrations is a great name. <laughs> it is a great name. It's a pretty good I think like name. six of the of sex shops in Dublin are called Good Vibrations. There's there's yeah. two. Two. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I knew it was more than one. <laughs> yeah, my friend's dad owns them. <laughs> <laughs> so Shauna, let's talk a little bit more about you. You're from you're from Puyallup. I oh my god, you got it right. <laughs> yeah, because I'll tell you why. I actually have family in Puyallup. Shut uh, up. <laughs> really? Yeah, no, yeah. It's 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 great when I when I read uh, an interview with you and it said where you were from and I saw that it was crazy because it's the first time I've ever seen it written down in a context outside of like my yeah. family because it is like a small little part outside Seattle so 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 who are they do I know them <laughs> oh god Dowers I don't know what what what, okay. what part of Puyallup oh god I don't know oh, okay okay um, <laughs> I barely I only just in the last like I would say two years nailed the pronunciation of it yeah I, I used to call it polyp. <laughs> yeah, I had um, an ex who used to call it pullywop. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a Pokemon. Yeah, um, but it's a. I, I know from visiting a place, it's it's quite a. It's quite a conservative place. It is, which is weird because Seattle's like so blue. Like most of this, most of Western Washington is so blue, and then you have like these really like red conservative pockets. pockets. Yeah. Yeah, and is, I was just wondering, was that conservative backdrop, uh, was that a catalyst for what you ended up doing? Like, were you, was that was any of it done in reaction to that upbringing? Oh, possibly. I was kind of a weirdo growing up. <laughs> like, I was, <laughs> I was that goth kid, um, <laughs> and uh, like I was. Dusty Gabbard would have bullied you, <laughs> right? There, <laughs> um, I I recently watched Lady Bird, and there's this small, tiny bit in Lady Bird where they're like at a dance, and someone's wearing a T-shirt that says like "Save a." horse ride a cowboy and because because that because that um, movie took place in like 2002 which was exactly when I went to high school like we every girl who like drove a pickup truck had that bumper sticker like they had that bumper sticker they had that t-shirt and so like I knew like that that was our town was like save a horse ride a cowboy um so yeah, what was the question again? Oh yeah, uh, yeah. I was I was kind of a I was kind of a weirdo. My um, we came from sort of a, a conservative background. My family were were very like evangelical Christian, but on the flip side, my mom um, knew that she didn't want her two daughters getting pregnant when they were teenagers or pregnant before they were ready, and so 
when I was like 16, before I turned, like before I was sexually active, my mom brought me and my sister down to our pediatrician and made sure that we were both on birth control. And when we were like 12 or 13, my mom was like, if you have any questions about sex, like we want you to come to ask us and ask us because we want you to have the right information. Wow. So like pretty, pretty progressive when it came to like sex, sex education. But um, yeah, I just was in this strange environment that was just like so conservative and I felt like I had to get out and I um like I moved over here um initially in 2005 so it was like straight after uh George W Bush got elected for the second mm-hmm. time and I was like I got to get the fuck out of here shit's <laughs> gone crazy <laughs> but luckily it's okay now so <laughs> <laughs> Imagine what's going to happen if Trump gets reelected. Oh my god! Yeah. So I like I like I came over here in two thousand five. Um, just on like I I had dropped out of college. Um, that like the year before, and I had like a year to use my student visa, kind of like a like a J one. And so I I wanted to like come over here and um like work in a work in a pub, work in a nightclub or whatever. And then met a guy and eventually like married him. So that's how I ended up stay in here because um, mm-hmm. I was married to that guy subsequently divorced but that's how I ended up staying here <laughs> have, have, you, have you noticed a bit when you came here in 2005 did you notice a big difference between how the USA and the Ireland w- and the Irish would talk about sex I'm sure we'll throw the English in there as well if you had much experience with them uh, I dated an English guy <laughs> there you go okay you do have experience so, like, slightly do you think e- either culture is more prudish or less prudish or I, I think we're uh we're fucked up in very, very different ways. <laughs> Elaborate. So, uh, yeah. So on the one hand, uh, when I talk to Irish people about their their sex education, it is usually down to uh, the school that they went to. I've had some people who have gone to schools in Dublin and said that they had like the worst sex education. Uh, they were educated by nuns or priests or, um, you know, teachers that just didn't care. Um, and then I, I had, I was given a talk one time and I was like, yeah, the, the sex education here isn't great. And then someone from Cavan was like, I went to a Jesuit school in Cavan and we had great sex education, like fully like comprehensive, uh, best practice sex education. And I'm like, oh, okay, well, I need to change. I, I just got this image of this Cavan Jesuit priest at the top of the show. I know, lads, if you're, unt- if you're a gay fellow and you're into it, Sex. This is the next thing we start. Uh, we move on to slide four. Uh, just John, stop picking your nose. Listen. I didn't get that. <laughs> I didn't get anything like that. Richie, did you get no. any proper um, sex, edu- sex education at school? Oh uh, no, I ha- I have two distinct memories of sex education. One at primary level. I went to t- both my primary and secondary uh, level education was Catholic. The first one was an absolute shit show. Our teacher didn't want to do it. All of this class was really awkward. There was one kid who just kept like laughing and asking very very specific questions <laughs> and then in second level I remember the teacher starting the class by reading out a list of like the words she was going to be using so that we could laugh and get out of her system so she was and she would keep repeating them until people stopped laughing oh that's good I kind of like that yeah so she would go penis vagina erection and she would just keep saying that until the giggles died down it took a long time for the giggles to <laughs> die down I still would giggle if someone stood up and just starting penis vagina erection I mean you know Especially if it was a nun. Yeah. <laughs> I am. Um, but a very straight but it face. Was, yeah, it was, it wasn't great. Like, none of it was great. None of it was particularly um, actionable. It all felt like there was some um, censorship happening to it. I remember one time we were all taken into, like, the gym auditorium and uh, this, like, 
troupe of like, I, like they were young Americans and like they'd perform some sort of plays and sketches about why you should abstain from sex until you're married. Oh, no way. <laughs> I just remember, yeah, it's like Did every now again. About abstinence? Kind of. It was really bad. And then like afterwards, all we talked about was who do you think actually got the ride though before they started doing this? Yeah. <laughs> I. Oh my God. Speaking of like uh, high school assemblies like that, um, not related to sex, but related to like drugs. There was like a group of, I think they must have been like a religious group, but it was like a theater troupe. And they did like an anti-drug assembly where they uh, did interpretive dance to Bonnie Tyler's Total Eclipse of the Heart, where they had like one girl. uh, So they had like a load of people who were wearing like black T-shirts, like all black and like black like hoods over their faces. And then just the name of the drug that they were supposed (laughs) to represent. And then... (laughs) And then they were like throwing this girl around to each one like a rag doll, like she was trying all of these drugs and her life was falling apart. And then she found God at the end of it. Was this another one person in black with God written on them? <laughs> oh my God, could you imagine? I can't, or was I can't it white with black writing this time? <laughs> Oh. But then, um, so so my my high school had like an improv troupe because of course they fucking did, and um, and they did like a a spoof of that at like the end of the year assembly where they just yeah it, that's pretty good yeah it was it was pretty funny but yeah I will never forget that assembly <laughs> so anytime I hear like total eclipse of the heart I just think like <laughs> pot crack <laughs> heroin like, drugs look amazing <laughs> drugs look amazing so so th- that's enough about like bad sex education. Like, in terms of good sex education, Shauna, what, like, when should it start and, like, how important is it for it to be taught? Oh, my God. Absolutely. Like, as early as possible, like, in an age-appropriate manner. What I, like, what I tell people is, like, you can teach consent to a toddler and it doesn't have to be in, like, a sexual context. You can teach them, like, about respect and, like, bodily autonomy from the time mm. they're about, like, mm. two or three. Don't grab, don't hit. Don't grab, yeah. don't grab, don't hit, Respect like, space. but also, like, saying to some, like, a, a child, like, you don't have to give hugs if you don't want to, uh, and, yeah. like, letting them choose like I, I babysit two girls and they get to choose who changes their diaper which is great for me because it means their dad always gets to change their, their <laughs> diaper I, I never have to do that like because I was like I want to go back to the old system yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, dad, fuck this progressivism shit dad works from home and so he's upstairs like working on his computer and I'm downstairs I'm like oh she chose you I guess you're yeah. up dad <laughs> So it's just it's it's little things like that, like giving them the, the, the choice for their for their own bodies, like who who gets a hug, who gets to change their nappy, et cetera, et cetera. And then making sure that it's just like age appropriate all the way up to the, the point when they're like 12 or 13 and learning, learning about sex. One of the big questions, I think, is the onus between should it be the like the institutional schools or the parents at home who should be teaching kids about sex? Um, I, for one, got my sex education because my mother gave me books like that were age appropriate when I was like eight or nine. Yeah. And I was just like, wow, condoms. I was like, dad, have you used a condom? And he's like, uh, yeah. <laughs> and then, like, and moving on. But she was like, I just remember it now. That was one of the things that she did particularly well. And I don't know where it came from because that's not her background. She's, you know, Irish Catholic born in a family of 10 in Donegal. But then somehow she just knew to whip out these books. And yeah, sure, so, like, yeah. And then like she, she gave us condoms um, when we were teenagers. I mean, she gave me condoms way before I had any chance to use them, but you were making balloon animals yeah. with them. <laughs> I still do. I mean, that's all I can use them for. Um, yeah, it's. I know. I, I was lucky, but then equally, if like probably eighty percent of my peers wouldn't have had that kind Same. of a parent. Yeah. Like, yeah, I think like the vast majority of like 
uh, people my age in their in their thirties, like their their parents either like weren't involved in their sex education or just you know slid a book under the door, that kind of thing. So, um, <laughs> <Just> play <boy>. <laughs> <laughs> Or play a girl. It's like an option. Whichever one you yeah, want. Yeah, whichever you want. We're okay. <laughs> Whatever with, you're into. Yeah. Um, but like, I I think, I, I really hope that this sex education bill that's being debated in the doll at the moment goes through. Mm. Um, I, I hope that like we have, we need like some sort of standard nationalized sex education program. Um, like I know we have, um, is it like R- RSE, I think. RSE. Yeah. But, it, but again, it's down to like whether or not because ninety five percent of our schools are have our Catholic mm-hmm. ethos schools, it's down to them whether they want to teach it, which is ridiculous. Because like we we have to teach science, something that mm. the, the the Roman Catholic <laughs> Church is never very fond of. Well, they're very quiet on that these days. Like they they apologize to your man uh, Galileo. So I mean, after that, they're fine. Yeah, but, uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, sorry, sorry, and then I, I, they still haven't accepted evolution, evolution though. But um, was, there, was there a Galileo of sex at some point in Ooh, history? Probably one of the popes, to be honest. They were weird dudes. Yeah. <laughs> you know, sex Galileo. <laughs> sex Galileo. <laughs> um, so, so yeah, like if we can accept like that it is a state requirement that we teach things like science and math, why is it not a, a state requirement that we teach sex education? It's literally down to like adults are uncomfortable talking about sex around kids. Mm. and but it, but it needs to happen yeah. in order for us to like be healthy, functioning sure. adults eventually. And part of the thing of teaching them is that it's obviously only appropriate for certain adults to talk yeah. about sex around kids. So then like, yeah, it, Uncle Tom shouldn't have to be worried about, oh, John learning about fecking sex at school and coming home and talking about sex. No, John should learn. I don't go home and talk about sex with Uncle Tom. I may ask my mother or my father some questions or think about that. But yeah, those are the kind of things that you could be teaching kids, like how it actually works. And perhaps then that would help stop other things like the, the abuses and all those kind of things that keep on going on and can't seem to be gotten rid of in society. Um, yeah, what are, what are the inherent benefits of having those like that sexual education versus not? Like, Do you have examples of... You know, when it's done right and when it's done wrong and yeah, the benefit someone, it can have like at a personal level and a, a societal level. Someone someone sent me on an article recently. I can't remember which university it was, um, but they were the, the study basically found that if you uh, teach consent like early enough, like before college, um, that it meant that uh, like col- college um, sexual assaults went down. Mm. Um, the like the number the number of sexual assaults have, have gone down since like things like mandatory consent classes have come in. But again, it was like a, a small scale study and like more research is needed. More, more research is always needed. Yeah. Um, there's not enough research being done in this area. Um, a- another good person to talk to about that is a, a researcher in DCU called Caroline West. Like she she's doing her PhD on the lived experiences of porn performers, but a lot of like her research is around um, uh, feminism and consent and like who gets to say what consent is and what like uh, what what consensual porn is, et cetera, mm. et cetera. Because there there's some areas of uh, I know I'm going like slightly off topic, but there's some areas of feminism that are saying that like women cannot consent to being in porn, they can't consent to being in sex work, and it's like who gets to decide what that is. Yeah, and what's your mm. what's your opinion of that? Uh, the if you are the person involved in the sex, you get to decide for yourself. So you totally disagree with anybody that would say it's an institutional societal thing that you I, have sex work and it's just like it, it, that's none of your business. <laughs> I, I I think you have to you have to meet people where they are. Um, and again, like I'm I'm not an expert. There are, there are people who uh, uh, 
people who work in sex work who could who could do a better job of explaining this than me. Um, but I I think like yes, we we do have to consider that there there's institutional elements of that but like we have to meet people where they are and mm. there are people who are like working in, in sex work because they they like it there are there are people who are working in sex work because they they need it to survive and so we need to uh we need to accept that those people are doing it consensually it mightn't be for the best reasons in the world but they are still doing it consensually so um yeah Oh, we've gone like slightly off topic. This is about like sex education. <laughs> well, this is part of it though. This is yeah. part of it. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, no, this isn't just sex education. This is the politics of sex. So yes. we want to talk about all things political and sexy. And normally what happens when you're talking about the politics of sex is you're hearing about some stupid old politician who got caught with either 20 tons of porn in his garage or <laughs> 17 mistresses. In his garage. In his garage. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and, and various other kind of crap like that. So, um, and then, uh, and then, equally, like really bad things, like um, sitting and former presidents being abused, uh, uh, being accused of like g- genuine abuse and that kind of stuff. Yeah. So, sex scandals is something that is completely tied into politics. Um, should they be considered scandalous to begin with? If there's something like um, Senator Joe Biden had an affair in the seventies with a consensual affair, should that be something that we consider? Would he make a good president now? Yeah, I, um, I. Not necessarily. Did you did you guys see the front runner recently? Uh, the film yeah. the front runner? Is that Hugh Jackman? Yes. Yeah. No. It was really. Good. I can't. Oh my god! This is how how bad my memory is. I literally saw this movie two weeks ago. But there was a. The, there was a genuine case, wasn't it? It was. Um, it was. A, it was genuine. So it was the um, Democratic front runner for uh, like back in the eighties, and um, he was running against Bush. And after like just Bush one Bush one and just after he announced it was revealed that he was had possibly had a a flirtation or an affair with a a fan of his and um, and how and he 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 wanted to control the situation. He was like, no, um, my personal life is is completely off limits. He didn't want his family involved in his his campaign run. And they're like, no, 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 we need to make sure that you look like like a family man, that kind of thing. And it just it, it kind of showed the the beginnings of the evolution of like what we have now, where it's like nothing is off limits, mm-hmm. like journalistically, like nothing is off limits. Like even sting operations, if you want to call them that. Yeah. Like trying to catch out guys. However... That said, I do love a sex scandal, especially <laughs> when it involves someone who has been uh, vehemently like anti-gay and gets caught up in a gay sex scandal. Yeah, yeah. always happens. Always, happens. always happens. Or like someone it, that's like, oh, family values, and then yeah. exactly. Yeah, yeah. There's a, there's a list. If you go onto Wikipedia, there's a list of federal um, sex scandals <laughs> broken down by year. And I was having a quick scan through it and my favourite one was um, a guy resigned hours after uh, he had sent a shirtless picture of him flexing his muscles to just some woman on Craigslist. He was a dude who was constantly preaching about family values. Yeah. So I, I think it's, um, it's kind of in the public interest if it's something like that because they're you know they're voting against people's rights sure yeah. rights to yeah. rights to like happiness and like evidence, the pursuit evidence of, of hypocrisy which is always what we need to find out about the politicians yes yes but mm-hmm. if it's someone who doesn't necessarily do all that and they get caught in a fair maybe it's usually it's usually just used by the other side to try and damage them exactly yeah, yeah. and then I, I i don't think that that is of political value in the way that it is for for someone who is 
you know, vote, like voting against gay rights or voting against like abortion and having their mit- mistress have an abortion, that kind of thing. Which happens all the time too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> People are weird, <laughs> especially politicians. Um, I guess another question that just kind of on this topic as well that just come to mind is that um, you have a president who has been accused by nearly 20 women officially of having abused them and you have a 40% fan base of his that just don't believe it. And then yeah. equally, it's like for example, if something came up with Joe Biden, you could equally just have, have 40% Democrats that be like, no, that's a lie invented by the other side. Do you think um, we are moving into the like post-truth era where you're just never going to know if it's actually true or not? Or should we just assume that it is true because usually these guys are dicks? When I, this is, this is hard. Uh, as someone who has been sexually assaulted and as someone who the vast majority of my my female friends have been sexually assaulted um where do i want to go with this stand with her mm-hmm. yeah 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 because because the again like only a small tiny minuscule amount of um of people who are accused of rape actually see court like a day in court yeah. and um and then uh, again, a small, minuscule amount of those people actually are convicted. Mm. Um, so until the day where it's like, oh, it's like fifty-fifty. Like my my gut instinct is to to believe anyone. Like because nobody nobody goes in into like accusing someone with huge amounts of power of rape or assault unless they're telling the truth because like that can only damage them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's like the definition of bravery, taking on something exactly like that. Um, yeah, sorry, that's that's kind of a tough one. Yeah, for no, you. no, no, it's it's, it's good. It's good to talk about though. Uh, moving on though to <laughs> maybe an equally heavy <laughs> question. Uh, you, we've talked about you being from America and then coming over to Ireland with that kind of fresh perspective that comes from seeing a culture from the outside, but then living within it. What what's your view of like the Ireland's conservative history with sex been and particularly how it's been tied up with the Catholic Church. Con- um, condom bans. Yeah. And all that kind the of pill. stuff. Like how, how does that feel as an outsider and like and especially now as we as we're through a, like a, tr- a transition period as we're becoming more progressive. Yeah. Like how does that all feel? It feels um so it feels good to be in Ireland right now because I think we we are in a space where like we've we've won two referenda mm. and it's like oh my god anything is possible if we just work hard enough <laughs> but we but we have to we have to understand that that's off the back of like years decades of of work um from women and allies before us um yeah. from allies of lgbtq people before us um it doesn't just happen in the space of 5 years and um but it does it, it does feel nice that we're in this kind of uh, moment of of flux, and I don't think it's just Ireland. I think it's kind of globally. Mm. Everyone's like, "Well, what?" Oh, certainly in the West. Certainly in the West. Yeah, yeah. Like, what? What is? Um, uh, what's the next fifty years going to look like? And um, they're all going to be polyamorous, just <laughs> um, hairless, genderless drones. Yeah, but it is <laughs> loving whoever we want for whatever reason we want. I mean, hopefully. <laughs> I, don't know, I, can't, like, I yeah. can't wait to be hairless. <laughs> but it is kind of strange because like when I first moved to Ireland, the divorce referendum was literally 10 years before I 
I got I married. That. Yeah. Yeah, I remember mm. it. And it's, the divorce law in Ireland is still fucking ridiculously it's ancient. It's still, archaic. yeah. Yeah. You have to wait uh, five years to get get a divorce. So I yeah, was, and you I have was to prove that you lived apart for four, exactly. and it's still up to the judge whether or not he'll let it happen. He'd be it's, like, "Oh, you're not trying it again." Although they, they never do that now, but still, the fact is, is like on the in the constitution, we still have the archaic system, even though everyone is just like, "I will work around it." Yeah, <laughs> the typical Irish thing. Well, I I think I like I had that in the back of my head that if I ever wanted to, if I ever needed to get a divorce, because I got married at 21. And so I just kind of like knew I didn't know that I was going to get a divorce when I was getting married because I was madly in love. But I was like, if anything does happen, I I need Mm -hmm. that. I need that backup plan. And so I made sure that like we got married in back home in Seattle. And it doesn't actually matter where you get married. You can get divorced in the country that you live in anyway. Yeah. So what I mean so, to say, what I mean to say is that like if you had got married in Ireland, you could still have gone back to Seattle and got a divorce in Seattle and taken that certificate back to Ireland. Say, I did. I'm divorced. You did. did. There you go. Yeah, that's yeah. what I did. That's, yeah, forward, forward planning because I knew that I could get a divorce back home and that would be recognized here. So I, 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 I kind of, I still had to wait like a year or two um, for all the paperwork to go through and everything, but it wasn't like having to wait four out of the last five years yeah. um, mm. of like living apart. And in the meantime, like he, he. Um, met a woman from Texas. He was like off traveling and when he was traveling he met a woman from Texas. So and he, he was Irish. And he's Irish. So he's got a like, thing for the Americans. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So so he's living over there now and I'm living over here and oh, we just wow. kind of like swap. That's swap right. countries. One for one. That's the best kind of immigration. <laughs> so it kind of worked out. Um but yeah, but but just in terms of like um moving here in like 2005, 2006 it's it was just kind of a, a very interesting time period because I, I remember um one of the, the first things like my my first friend my first like best friend that I had over here when I like moved to Ireland said to me if you had moved here or if you had lived here like 20 30 years ago you would have been put straight into a Magdalene laundry <laughs> and he said it like jokingly. They just look at you and just throw you in he's just like yeah everybody know like you into the laundry with yeah, you. Yeah, I mean, it is, we're joking about it, but I still get shivers when I think about those institutions that everyone just mm. accepted. It yeah. was yeah. horrendous. And the last one closed in the mid-90s. Yeah, but because they still had the ladies that were still working there. Just if anyone doesn't realise what we're talking about, the Magdalene laundries were basically big institutional prisons that they used to send women to. Like family members would send their daughters into these places if they got married, if they got pregnant out of wedlock. Yeah. And then they. Oh, would. not not even if you like looked at a guy the wrong way, really? and they're like, yeah, 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 she looks like she could be promiscuous. If she if if a, a woman got accused of being promiscuous, she could be sent in. Didn't necessarily mean like just because like she got pregnant, yeah. though that was the most mm. commonly mm. used excuse. I think the the last um the last woman who was sent into a Magdalene laundry was uh for mild intellectual dis- disability. That oh was that gosh. was the reason, and that, I think she I think she got sent in in the nineteen eighties, the late eighties. They used to they were run by the nun, the nuns. I think they were the Magdalene Order, and they owned a heap of property around Dublin that they got to make hundreds of millions of euros off selling during the boom, and they didn't have to pay a single cent for any of the uh, because obviously this all came out and people were like that was horrendous. The state has to pay um, damages. Mm. The church didn't have to pay a penny because we still have some sort of a. A, a deference to the Catholic Church in this country, even if we're trying our best not to think about it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so it's like it's scary because, like, I think we do still have there's so much, there's so many ties to the the church. How surprised were you about how strong the abortion referendum went through? Just like for, uh, for me, I even at the end of the close of the polls, I was like, this could definitely lose. Yes, I would not be surprised. I um, I I think the last 
day or two, I I was scared, but I because I was I was volunteering with a group called Angels for Yes, um, and our our sole mission was to block. There was a, a group called the ICBR who were outside of the maternity hospitals and the Irish Times yeah. and um, loads of places with uh, giant ten by twelve foot banners of aborted fetuses. Mm, it was horrific. Mm. Um, someone like I got I got told by a f- like a few parents down in Cork that they were outside their children's schools. There was one that was like said oh. they had claimed that they were outside a candy shop down in Cork. So our so our group Angels for Yes uh, dressed and uh, it was basically it was it was down to logistics. We uh, there we had a few people who headed it up who worked for a theater company who had these massive angel wings that were like what could block <laughs> these posters better than massive angel wings so um ironically <laughs> yeah, ironically beat, yeah beat, beat the christians with their own tools <laughs> well oh they got so angry at us for that they're <laughs> really really angry at us for that so um so we would go out like every single day that they were out we were out and um and we worked alongside um uh, radical queers resist because mm. they had loads of like rainbow flags. So it was like angels and rainbow flags. I didn't see the angels, but I do remember seeing the like the, 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 the like the people holding the rainbow flags just standing in front of the horrendous pictures, just yeah. so yeah. people didn't have to look at them. I thought it was amazing. Yeah. The theatricality of it was so impressive. Yeah. So the the last like week or so, um, the ICBR and kind of the no campaign had backed off slightly the icbr had definitely like backed off um from like maternity hospitals which is where we were kind of covering anyway maternity hospitals and the doll and i think at that stage they were they were mostly focused on ucd Mm. and some of the colleges um so we couldn't really get out to them as easily as we could to the the city center locations so we were just happy that they weren't in front of the the maternity hospital that was the worst that was the worst but what we did do is we we kind of we would walk up and down the the city center just having a presence there so that they knew that we weren't like completely backed off and that if they did show up we we would be there um but we did notice that a lot of the the no campaigners generally had backed off in the last few days and we were like does this mean that they've given up? Did they know something that we don't? Um, but like tons of yes campaigners were out. And I, it looked like the yes campaigners were outnumbering the no campaigners like five to one mm. in some areas of the city center. And so we're like, that's when we kind of got the feeling that we might win this. Um, but we're still like really scared that we wouldn't because we knew um, how close it felt when the equal marriage referendum was going on Mm. um and this was going to be so much harder like we were getting spat at in the streets and so we just we were really on edge up Mm. until the very very last minute and then when the exit polls came in like i just burst into tears um i had preemptively bought a bottle of prosecco (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> because either like we were going to win and I needed to celebrate or, or we were going to lose and I was desperately going to need that bottle of Prosecco. But we won and I like I ran down to the the local Catholic church that had been like really hardcore like campaigning for no and I just drank that bottle of Prosecco like with, <laughs> with a friend like outside of, outside of the church outside of their big no banners and stuff like just yeah is that the one on Griffith Avenue I am not going to say who it was <laughs> not going to say who it was confirm nor deny <laughs> you were standing outside there with a Prosecco bottle they know who you are yeah. <laughs> let's just go around all the churches and see if there's any like Prosecco stains on the ground <laughs> 
No, it, like it, it wasn't the one outside of Griffith Avenue, but um, but the, it was one in my 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 local area, um, because mm. I was just I, I it was just so overwhelming, just like crying, drinking prosecco, and um, yeah, it, it was such a, a bizarre experience. And then the next day, I was at um Dublin Castle, yeah, and mm. um, and it was just it was so weird because they would they would announce the uh somewhat one of the the kind of like major like repealers would come out um like Catherine Zapone or um uh like Tara Flynn would come to the edge of the stage and everyone would cheer them on like rock stars I, it was yeah. something I had like never experienced before in my life and then at one stage um oh and then the the angels were like well we gotta we gotta show up and so they they managed to get the angel wings for one last day because they had sent them back to the the theater group who owned them and they kind of rang them last minute like, can we get those wings back just one more one more time <laughs> we're putting the band back together for one more go and um it's like live aid yeah yeah so um so there was a few angels there and um and they were kind of walking around and everybody was cheering for them and I was so proud of them and then um and then I got a tap on the shoulder and they're like are you Shauna and I was like yeah it was just delirious because I, I I felt like I hadn't slept at all that night and uh, everything was kind of like in a haze and she was like hi my name is Cloda we were on the same episode of first dates <laughs> <laughs> That's right as well, wow. actually. Um, Richie, did you realize that Shauna was on first dates? No. The Irish version of the TV show where you basically go on a first date in front of live cameras. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I did not know that. Both of our dates did not work out. <laughs> now that you say that, I don't remember ever, like I actually quite like watching that show and it's one of the few things that I watch with my mother. And uh, whenever I'm back home, she always like takes out the back catalog and says, oh, we yeah. watched this one. And um, at the end of it, none, no one ever seems to... to to become a pair, it um, always like oh they they went for drinks, but they're not going to continue. There are a few. There was actually um, there was a couple of gals from my season who got engaged recently, no and that way. was in the news. Yeah, how long ago was that? Um, I think about a month ago they got engaged. And did you audition, or did they? Go yeah. find you. No, I, I auditioned. So I had um gone through like a massive breakup, and then it was like a couple months later, someone had joked like you should go on first dates. And I was like, okay, yeah, whatever. And then, uh, and then I went on the website, and they were looking for for people for the next season. So I'm like, oh, yeah, good timing. Maybe, maybe I will. And so what ended up happening was, um, yeah, like you audition, they they ask you to send in a tape, and they send you some like questions or whatever um, to answer like on camera. And I I sent in my tape, and then I got a phone call from a producer. They go through like more detailed questions with you, like what kind of date you would be looking for, et cetera, et cetera. And then they let you know, like, I think I got the call like a week before they they were shooting and they're like, yeah, we, we need you in for like Thursday or something. I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah. Awesome. Like I work in town. That's very handy. Like, let's do this. And, um, the date did not go well <laughs> for anyone who's, <laughs> who's seen brand, the date. Did they brand you, like, was it the lower thirds come up at the bottom of the screen and they said, Shauna Scott, smoke peddler? <laughs> <laughs> they, um, so we got to, yeah, I think I, I think I said, I didn't say smut peddler, but it was like Shauna Scott, whatever your age is. And then like, I, I'm like, I, I run an online sex shop. And so I think what, what ended up happening was so the guy that I got paired with halfway through the date, like, first of all, it took him halfway through the day to ask me what I did for a living. Uh, <laughs> right. <laughs> was all the rest just talking about himself? Well, like, not even talking. He was so quiet. Oh, and just flexing his muscles. Like, no. It just, it just, it like. <laughs> she would have been okay with that. Yeah. I mean, it would have been something. No, he was, he was just, he was very quiet. And I wondered if it was because, like, he, he, it was either one or two, one of two things. One, uh, he got very shy in front of the camera. 
Mm. Or two, he saw me walk in the bar and was instantly like, nope, (laughs) and just didn't even feign interest for the two and a half hours we were on that day. So, um, yeah, it was it was kind of a a grueling two and a half hours. Anyone that watches it, they know you have to go in and you do the sit down. It's like, oh, will you go out with them again? Yeah. You just no. No, well, I, so, so the, the people that I was living with at the time, they were like, you know, big, uh, first dates fans. And they were like, it doesn't matter if you like the person or if you didn't like the person, you need to be the first person out of the gate to say like, you know, uh, yes or no, because <laughs> that's uh, how you win first dates. Ireland. But no, cause they're like, there's nothing worse than saying like, you go first, you go, no, oh, you yeah, go yeah, first it because it's just, it's so, it's so incredibly awkward, especially yeah. like, um, I think there was a guy on, like literally on the episode that I was in who was like, oh no, no, you go first. And she was like, I'd really like to go out on a date and like a second date. And the guy was like, nope. <laughs> oh, <laughs> what a dick move. Right? <laughs> right. And so like, so my guy, like um, halfway, so halfway through the date when he asked me what I did for a living, I said, I, I, I run an online sex shop and he was like, oh, that's great. I come from the land of Kama Sutra because he was from New Delhi. And I was like, oh, that is so cringy especially because that was like the literally the only thing one of the only things he said to me the entire night huh? and, uh, and so I so, so I was like oh that's that's kind of a weird line it kind of came out of nowhere and then yeah. like later I when I watched the episode he had said that in the interview like I come from the land of Kama Sutra yeah, that's how they put you together and I'm like oh and I put two oh. and two together I'm like he obviously said that in the audition as well yeah, and yeah. so they're like oh, they're that's, just like, that's like his catchphrase yeah they're sex people let's put, the put sex, them together put the sex people together put the farmers together yeah yeah. I was devastated that they didn't put me with a farmer could you imagine how good telly that would be it would have been brilliant would be amazing telly <laughs> like some awkward but still able to talk to you kind of farmer that would have been brilliant yeah but also I demand, think demand to get on the next season my, my ex um, his family are sheep farmers and so like I know a little bit not a ton but a little bit about farming enough to carry on a conversation that I think a farmer would be uh, delightfully like pleasantly surprised by by me and my conversational skills around uh, silage and uh, and <laughs> I would lambing. probably fall in love immediately yeah. <laughs> and then equally so he could be pleasantly you could be pleasantly surprised by how much he knows about dildos so oh, you never yeah, know there exactly. you go yeah. yeah on that note I think that takes us nicely to our to our last question as dildos is always the best word to finish an episode on <laughs> <laughs> going to that idea what you just described of like a dichotomous Ireland like on the one hand in Ireland you, on the one end you have like conservative Dimna Fitzgerald from Clumbalogue <laughs> whose favourite song is The Angelus meanwhile <laughs> you've got some young one from Dublin who's in a gluten free polyamorous relationship with half the members of their vintage photography club <laughs> how do you how do we conflate the two and engage the country in a holistic and a healthy discourse about sex. First of all, I think you'd be very surprised by Dimpna. Dimpna's got some secrets. <laughs> Dimpna's nasty. Yeah. Um, yeah. She, I, only, she can, has to finish her sex session within the Angelus. <laughs> Before the final gong. Wow. Wow. <laughs> um, well, I mean, I can, I can talk about like how I try to communicate sex to like literally everyone um, please I like I try to come on like podcasts like this I, I will speak to like literally anyone who wants to talk about sex with me so um, to get the the older generation I will talk to like loads of like women's magazines um, I talked to I can't remember who it was but I did an interview where we were talking about like ageism and sex and how like a lot of people just don't like once you 
go menopausal, they're like, oh, well, I guess you're not fuckable anymore. <laughs> you're not you're not worth talking about sex with. Um, and I'm like, no, let's talk about that, because like a lot of women like rediscover their sexuality post menopause. Yeah. Isn't it like the statistics at the moment in terms of how we are in society, the people that are older, like in their 60s and 70s are having way more sex than people that are in their 20s and 30s. They're having way more sex. And the, unfortunately, the way rates more. of STDs yeah, are much yeah, higher. Doing it properly. <laughs> well, well, it's not that they're not doing it properly. It's just they they assume that like because they can't get pregnant, the, the, that means that they're safe. But like mm. they're they're not taking STDs into account. And so like I, I talk to these women's magazines about like ageism and, and sex and and will immediately get like phone calls and emails off of like women who have gone through menopause or have gone through divorce later in life and uh, or are, are recently widowed mm. and want to know like how how do I like rediscover my sexuality so I think if we give people the platform to talk about sex like and I always say this in every every talk and any interview that I give that we are much liberal than we give ourselves credit for we have literally just not been given the platform to talk about sex in this country but if it's there we'll talk about it like any any other community in any other country um so that's been really encouraging um so i like i will literally like talk to anyone i can about, <laughs> about sex because it, it just means i'm reaching more like more people from different demographics well thank you for taking the time to talk to us and our demographics about sex yeah thanks so much for having me <laughs> um yeah sean this has been great yeah it has we'll include a link to sex shopper in the show notes for anyone who wants to check it out awesome. you're, you're big on the tweet machine as well i'm big on the tweet yeah. machine i and i fucking live on instagram <laughs> Okay, well then we'll we'll tweet links to both of those accounts as well so people can follow you if they want to. Excellent. Um, but yeah, no, definitely check out the website, by the way. It is a very, uh, I presume, Richie, when you checked it out, you were like very satisfied with the, the graphic design quality. I was going to say, the, the design of it is excellent. Ah, very awesome. easy to navigate. Thank you. Beautiful branding. Did you do it yourself? Um, so my ex-boyfriend built the site, but all of the graphic design was me. Like I, I, can't, I can't afford a graphic designer. I had to teach <laughs> myself how to do that. Well, there you go. No, that's great. I just Thank got you. myself a Richie, so it's fine. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, Shauna, thank you so, so much. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Episode 69, we did it. <laughs> High five. <laughs> This has been a production of the Headstuff Podcast Network. 